Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. I'm your host, Zach Geist. This show is made possible by Student Loan Tutor, which you can find at studentloantutor.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please take a moment and give us a review. Thank you. Welcome to Zeitgeist with Zach Geist. Today, I have Olux, Zarina, and Andres from Olux. I came into contact with them synchronistically when I came back from Salt, uh, from Hawaii to Salt Lake City and I had an email about a Siberian woman from Yakutia uh, and Andres, who is part of Olux. What does Olux mean? Um, hi, everyone. It's our traditional greeting of um, Yakutian people in Arctic Siberia. So, um, Olex means the life in uh, my native language. And Andres and I, we met about four years ago. We um, created our project. And the whole vision of Olex, it's um, uh, like a bridge between uh, ancient wisdom and modern life. So we combine easily electronic music with traditional songs. And um, if I tell a little bit about uh, where um, my culture is come from, it's in a, if you look at it in a map, it's in the Arctic Circle, mm-hmm. and it's in northern eastern part of Russia. So uh, it would be the world's sixth largest um, country in the world if, it was an independent country mm. and it's also the most cold area in inhabited area in the world where the winters can reach a loss of minus 94 degree. Mm. Yeah. So everything is very, um, expressive and wild and, um, intense. We have intense winter time and intense summertime with a lot of mosquitoes. <laughs> so, and the main thing is, um, our culture, um, takes its breath from shamanism. So it's, uh, so you grew up as a child and growing up as in the shamanic culture. Yeah. There were, um, a very specific time after Soviet union collapse. So I was born in 1989. And after two years, the Soviet Union collapsed. So um, before, can you imagine the whole culture was pushed down, pushed away by communist people? Oh, I know my family moved out of Russia in 1917. You, mm. My grandmother actually grew up, was born and grew up in Chelyabinsk, where mm. your, you actually went to school, right? Uh, no. Oh, I thought you did went to school in Chelyabinsk. In Chelyabinsk, no, I never been in Chelyabinsk. Oh, somebody, somebody said that. Or Kemerovo, was that uh, where? My mom, Kemerovo. my oh, mom. Oh, your mom went yeah. to school. That's where it was. My grandfather's from Kemerovo. Oh, yeah. wow! Yeah. It's in Siberia. Kemerovo yeah. is part of Siberia. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So both of them were from. One was from Chelyabinsk. One was from Kemerovo. Uh-huh. And I've never been. So I look for. I know you and I have talked about the. Uh, beautiful celebration that happens at the summer solstice uh, because when you're in a place that's the coldest place on earth that humans inhabit, clearly you really show deep reverence for the sun and for warmth. Do you want to talk a little bit about that to start off? Yeah, it's um, um, here. It's a collective ceremony of cleansing body, mind, and soul. And uh, Yakutian people, they celebrate... New Year during summer solstice. 
and uh, not from the winter as we usually do, but we have, uh, you know, official New Year celebration, December 31, 31st to January 1st. But um, we celebrate also the summer solstice where um, over 200,000 people are involved during two days. So they come and uh, um, there are huge happenings like sports games, traditional sports game. At the same time, um, horse uh, running, um, then traditional songs competition, traditional dance competition, and the, and the whole um, two days are like a big, big, big ceremony. And in the middle where, you know, the longest day appears with the first sunlight, people come out at 4 a.m. and they... Um, receive the sun's energy for the whole year through the hands. Mm. So that's beautiful happening. Andres and I, we, we ha had a chance to perform uh, during that celebration. And we had 7,000 people. It was crazy. Mm. You're probably quite the celebrity now in Yakutia with, uh, with what you're doing yeah. internationally and traveling. People, yeah, people like, and it's something new for Yakutian people like Andreas is doing. It's amazing. His work, his drumming, his electronic sounds, and he's amazing composer, percussionist, drummer. And now he became a vocalist. Uh, we visited that time when we were in celebration. We had a, um, some time to meet um shaman in Yakutia and we went to his uh, home we met his relatives relatives and we got a permission that we can combine electronic music with the traditional songs and Andreas um, I remember you had a special ceremony he was drumming mm. in his traditional house remember in in front of a fireplace and he was in so ecstatic state then um, after that, his, you know, after a couple of weeks, he started to sing and his voice opened up and this deep chanting, um, we call it, um, it's very close to Tibetan Bon religion chanting. Mm -hmm. Um, so that came out from him. So just suddenly yeah, this came out. What does it sound like, Andres? My, uh, sound, okay, I'll show you. Yeah. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite a droning, and I uh, this is playback, but uh, maybe I show you next time. And <laughs> yeah, what I think would be great is uh, maybe, people, maybe people think this is effects. This is not real. No, I don't believe it. This is effects. I know. What is your, what is your, you know, um, uh, pedal board? I said, no, this is yeah. real. <laughs> you should, you should get on in the airport sometime. Both of you, you know, when they do the announcements, uh, <laughs> just. <laughs> Have both of you going, people, it would wake everybody out of their trance, you know. <laughs> you know, I go to places, you know, like the airport. I'm going there tomorrow to fly to the Big Island. And um, 
It's one of my least favorite places to be is airports. It seems so disconnected from nature. And what I think is so beautiful about uh, your culture uh, in Yakutia is the deep connection with nature. Because if you mm-hmm. will fall out of connection with nature at the coldest part on the planet, yes. then you will die. You will not... You, like the very fact that the people, the, Yakutian, the Yakutian people are still alive and thriving is their ability to be able mm-hmm. to be sensitive to nature. Exactly. Uh, so, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I, maybe you want to touch on what your experience was like leaving uh, Yakutia and going into Russia and then coming into the United States. How is that? How is the lifestyle different in the connection with nature? So I uh, I was born and grew up in a small village with nine hundred people, and um, so my grandfather's house where we used to live and still my family lives there. My mom and three young sisters. And um, it's very remote, um, with the forest around, very close, like f- 50 feet away, and you get the forest. That's how I used to go there alone and try to talk to animals and birds, try to imitate their sounds, like... <laughs> So that's, I was trying to, I thought that it's normal and then try to put some intention in it and talk to them uh, while I'm doing this sound. I think about connection to the animals and birds, the certain one, for example, raven mm-hmm. is my totem animal. And I used to see them around me a lot of time when I come to my village or even here in California, they're all over and they're like following me or, or they show me the path. So there are a lot of wisdom uh, around this um, bird, beautiful bird. And uh, so gr- growing up in uh, my small village, um, it's kind of, you know, I never been abroad until like at, when I was 18 years old, I went to Vienna the first time and I visited Moscow, which is capital of Russia. Um, also when I was 18 years old, but before I never been outside of Yakutia. Hmm. And um, so I graduated from secondary school with a golden medal. I was best student and I entered to world economy um, master degree world economy institute you and i should do another podcast about economics Uh, (laughs) (laughs) that's also you know like art when you combine um like logical part of you Mm -hmm. strategical and being friendly with the figures also you know art the artistic part music part that's amazing and it's i think yakuti helped me a lot to combine this two uh, skills together and I went to Yakutsk which is the capital and I uh, studied there five years but I never stopped to sing I was always following this inner voice that um, you know made me feel so happy and uh, even I was doing my businesses another projects um, so I was learning I had a I, I passed a special permission um, with the Tungus shaman, the world sham- the word shamanism uh, came actually from Tungus language, mm. event language. They live in Yakutia also in northern 
in southern part of Yakutia. And so I... What is the word? I forget. It starts with a be, right? Or is it... I mean, shamanka, that means shaman, like a female shaman. Sh shaman, shaman, it's a me, men. Mm -hmm. And shamaness, I mean, in Russian, shamanka mm -hmm. means female. And, uh, but in my uh, native language, it's, it sounds oyun. Hmm. Uh, it's a man. Udaran, it's a woman. And uh, sh the word shaman came from Tungus language, as I told you, and it sounds saman. Hmm. Saman, it's the, the translation is the person who knows. Hmm. So I, um, I passed this um, permission to play with the shamanic drum because nobody is allowed until we have a permission. And we call that the frame drum, right? The yeah, the frame drum. And it has the angles, nine angles, depending to which skies do you fly. We believe that there are nine, nine or 12 skies in the uh, higher world. And this isn't some just f fantasy. I mean, the shamans, and I've experienced this myself, that through this drumming and if you're in this place and you're reverent, you actually have these experience of going to these different realms of consciousness. Yeah, it's, uh, can you imagine, um, Yakutian shamans were never using psychedelics, but they had a um, gift naturally to fall into that state and, uh, and uh, flying, having journey through the three worlds because we see the whole universe as a three worlds, lower where we have black spirits and the middle world where we have spirit of the nature everything like every single plant is alive and people and animal and then uh, the higher world we have 12 deities they are responsible for people's human uh, problems and uh, i had a i i i read book and i about shamanism and i know um actually she came to us our concert in yakutia andreas um, she's a surgeon but a mm. daughter of shaman. Um, she uh, wrote a book about her father, who was uh, one of the powerful shamans in uh, in Yakutia, who can um, work with the f weather. It means if so if shaman works with weather, calling the rain when it's dry or wildfires are going, or on the contrary, pushing the ra rain away or finding somebody who's lost in taiga, in deep forest, mm. and telling that, oh, you know, he's in a, in, in, the, in a transcendental state and he's seeing, oh, he's under that tree, go there like 100 miles away from here. They can see that in a distance. And he, I mean, quantum physics is showing that there's yeah. states that are non-local. Something's happening one place and yeah. it, the other element's experiencing it. And somehow it seems like, these shamans that have dedicated and disciplined their, their lives and have been called, they actually, the shamans get called, they don't get nominated like Donald Trump, they get called by the spirits themselves. Yeah. And through their revelations and through their ability to heal, the fact that they've been called is discovered by the village or by the tribe, correct? Like they are able to heal, which is what, is what puts them in that position. And a lot of people I hear nowadays, they 
call themselves shamans or they, you know, I, I could picture, you know, like with domain names on GoDaddy, you know, you have .com, .org, .guru. I'm waiting for like .shaman, you know, like <sighs> it's everybody's calling themselves a shaman this day. Like, you know, it's a roof shaman and a, you know, a lawn shaman. But, I, I, you know, it seems like people are really struggling to find meaning. And in some ways they're appropriating this term of what a shaman really is. It's not something that someone goes and gets a certification in. It's something that they're called for by the spirits. Do you consider yourself a shaman? I I was thinking about that, you know, because I see what is happening around and we're part of this community. Um, in our modern society, uh, every single uh, word uh, which is very important, very close to our heart becomes as a part of marketing mm -hmm. because it, it becomes popular. People really like that. And something like is cold inside of them. And I have a little bit different opinion. I can understand, I can see that they're misusing or overusing the word shaman and they, they're calling themselves as a shaman. And I can identify, yeah, here, here we are. Yakutian shaman never, uh, never calls himself as a shaman. Other people will call him, but he will never say, I am shaman. Um, so, and um, they don't really want to be a shaman. It's not like oh. they, they grow up and they say, when I grow up, I want to be a shaman. Usually it's from what I've read, I've spent, I don't know, a hundred hours or more researching uh -huh. shamanism. Uh -huh. It's just been so fascinating to me. And what I found, find, what I found was for, through like Mercia Eliade's work, and I've read mm -hmm. some, uh, some, some people in Siberia's work as well that's been translated to English. It's hard to find it translated. My Russian is not very good. So uh, they're essentially what happens oftentimes is it's they're maimed or they have a deep wounding when they're younger. And then it's through this wounding, some of them don't survive and some other ones do survive. And then when they survive, somehow through their wounding, they discover their gifts and their gifts are to be able to connect with this ecstatic realm, which is essentially from what I've read is and experienced to some extent is it's a realm that's quote unquote betwixt and between this one meaning it's we're here living in this horizontal existence mm -hmm. and there's a realm right above and mm -hmm. right below. Mm -hmm. um, and in some of our culture, like Stranger Things, for example, that series on Netflix, it kind of shows this thing called the upside down, which is a world that is, uh, there's a term for it in Jungian psychology called chthonic. Mm -hmm. And uh, it means like of the earth, dar down in the darkness. And there's that, I, re I believe that's referring, <laughs> pointing to the lower realm. And then there's this ascension or this upper realm, which is the more like maybe ethereal or angelic realm where essentially there's an intelligence or a consciousness that mm -hmm. exists that doesn't take physical manifestation in a way that we could measure. But yet some people can still see this other realm. And, some, and sometimes maybe it's this wounding or this sickness that happens and that once they heal, the spirits essentially heal the, the, the shaman and then they're able to see it. And sometimes this is a life that's very lonely and, and full of solitude. The shamans in many villages, from what I've read, I don't know if it's still the case. I haven't been to Siberia yet, but they live on the edge of the, of this, of yeah. the culture. And then also people are nervous to even interact with them because you know, they don't know what the heck's going to happen. And maybe sometimes even the shaman might not know what, what's going to happen through them because they're you know, kind of an open portal in a lot of ways. I can tell a little bit about the rite of the passage of shaman. Can you imagine 
Oh, little kid. The first invocation happens when they're really little, like three, four years old. And I heard many legends and stories and read books. And my grandfather told me the stories about uh, that the shamans um, being a normal kid, but sometimes, you know, like the first time when they feel that invocation, they they don't know what to do, but they play with that. They can scare their parents, like cutting their head and say, mom, look what I can do. Mm. And it was kind of, oh, you know. Like so they, 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 their, their parents would see them with their head decapitated holding. Somehow they're able to create yeah, that create in that reality in, in, for, for yeah. that person for the parent in their reality their child is standing there with their head cut off i know for some people to hear that sounds absolutely like not possible i've experienced situations yeah. where i've seen things that are not possible yeah. like from our current mode of reality and to the degree that we feel like that's not possible it's terribly frightening but in your culture if that happens it's like whoa there's my son i'm terrified but maybe my son is yes a shaman and it's normal for them to recognize okay and here is the first recognition that he is a future shaman but then it's the whole story how he passed the rite of passage like the whole journey can take um it can take like decades mm -hmm. because the first indication is also person should get sick mm -hmm. and very very terrible state and they almost die they can um, be mentally ill or physically ill so most of them being in that terrible state they see all of them it's very interesting all of them uh, who became a shaman they see one dream psychedelic dream hmm. uh, th that their body was eaten by spirits mm -hmm. like meat by meat and blood was sucked and and th they leave only bones and these bones uh, usually take is taken care by one eye one um, one hand handed one leg um, old woman her name is uh, emeget emerson um emeget starushka emeget which means like um old, old woman mm -hmm. old lady emeget and she um teaches all future shamans young shamans to be a real shaman which means she take she takes these bones and cover it on the bare fur mm -hmm. leather and she take the soul, mother's soul, mother's spirit, and put it inside of a large tree. And then um, she bring that shaman who works with the lower wo world to the lower world spirits. And then she opens up this leather, uh, the, the fur of bear, and she sees that there are bones and ask the spirits to build the new body and they start to build everything until it's done. And then she puts that um, spirit of mother, what was carried inside of large tree, inside of that body, new body. And suddenly in our middle world, in this reality, this person who was struggling with uh, you know, his disease, he become healthy. 
Mm. And it happens like one day and he wakes up and realizes that he healed himself inside of this dream. And sometimes he feels like he's been gone forever, like lived a whole yeah. entire life that's completely time, different. It's like you're being outside of time. Yeah, and it's the, it's the whole point is that very interesting. Everybody sees that journey and uh, and then they realize, oh, I'm a shaman. And the next step, they start to heal people. So mm. they start to see people, people come and they can even, you know, the powerful shamans, they can, uh, heal with the from the touching or from seeing them from one side and uh, they're incredible storytellers they are artists uh, they can be blacksmiths who mm. work with the metal silver gold and uh, they're dancers um, they can be herbalists um, also so it's like a superman who can who have a lot of talents and um and and one also interesting way, you know, to to see if somebody uh, needs shaman support and help and special ceremony, he falls in this ecstatic state through the dance mm. and drum and singing. But, but first, start from offering and feeding spirit of the fire hatantemiria, and then the whole hap it it can happen all all the night. And then he again sees this dream, psychedelic dream. If somebody is sick, it means that his soul was stolen by black spirits and hide it somewhere in the lower world. Mm. And he flies there and he goes down there and he fights with these black spirits. And he can find, there, there's, there's a very interesting story about one little girl, was uh, her soul was stolen. And he came after that soul. He was looking and suddenly found it inside of nostril of bull. Hmm. It's a lower world um, bull. And he became the small and came inside of this nostril. And he sees in the bottom of that space a little soul um, almost dying. And he, uh, he helps to escape. He brings that soul and goes to the middle world and bring it back to the body and the whole in the whole this ecstatic state of ceremony while he dances and sings he sees that he has this imagination mm -hmm. without psychedelics mm -hmm. it's how it's possible yeah, imagination is even a hard word for it because it's it's filled and linked with deep insight and yeah. and input that would be impossible to experience uh, from past memory. It's almost like the memories come from uh, its own intelligence. It's, it's like one is taken over by a greater intelligence than you have in everyday life. There's a deep connection that, how do I put it? It's interesting, it just... It's like it, uh, I'm not supposed to go into that apparently. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. when we when we touch that realm and the shamanism, we're like we understand it. We don't understand yeah. it actually. <laughs> <laughs> Science and our mind, our brain can't explain that at all. We we just feel it by heart, and there is no word to describe it. We just can describe some situations, but feeling 
I think we can feel it that in ecstatic in ecstatic state actually. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I uh, people that are listening to this, uh, Zarina and Andreas Olox have uh, led two ecstatic dance journeys uh, at the in Utah, where yeah. we have the we do it we hold the dance in a temple. It's in a Hare Krishna temple, mm-hmm. and uh, of course Krishna loved to dance the deity yeah. Christian yeah. Uh, Krishna, and then also Shiva in the Hindu in the Hindu uh, culture, the Hindu myth. Um, and the idea is, is that these are intelligent archetypical beings that exist and have revealed themselves to the human psyche, to the human mind. And that through our association with these archetypes, they could live inside of us and help us heal. And this is, sounds like also this older woman, Stadi Jenshina, is that what you said? So, yeah, and then also the, the fairy tale myth of Baba Yaga, it sounds yeah. very... Baba, Baba. Baba in yeah. Indian, in Sanskrit. Oh, yeah. Baba, yeah. Yeah. It's Baba Yaga. It's Yagi. Yeah, you, do you know that uh, Indian people believe their uh, fire ceremony? It's Yagi. Mm. Ya- I, yagi. Really? Yagi ceremony. It's uh, and also fire uh, ceremonial. And uh, Baba Yaga, it's a translate from the Sanskrit and uh, Russian language, Ukrainian language, and it's a similar one in the uh, Sanskrit. It's many, you know. Yeah, there are a lot of similarities between of, Sanskrit maybe 60% and Russian. Wow, it's maybe a that's base from the Sanskrit, uh, Slovenian language, all the Slovenian language, and the base there from the Sanskrit. And Baba Yaga, mm-hmm. you know, the Kastina Yanaga, it's mean uh, Baba Yoga. It's not woman. Baba, mm-hmm. it's Baba. Mm-hmm. You know, the Guru Baba in Indian that, traditional, yeah. uh, and uh, Russian traditional and Vedma. It's Vedunya. It's mean uh, which. I'll talk Russian, she translated. <laughs> Great. Yeah, no problem. Vidunia, она обладала знаниями вед и также исцеляла, как и... Yeah, the witch, uh, which is also in our Russian fairy tales, is Baba Yaga, right? Yeah. Um, so they knew the wisdom, they knew how Veda works. You know, the Vedic concept? Fairly familiar, yes. I'm familiar with the word. Yeah. And, and I think what's really beautiful is that uh, somehow there was deep wisdom in the sense that uh, the ancient history has of, of the Russian culture has been kept alive through the folks and fairy tales throughout generations. And, and hidden in there, some of the depth of the stories may have diminished, but the essence is still alive in them. And even in our words, something that I've been really discovering, getting deeply fascinated about is how there's stories that are embedded into language through etymology. You look Mm -hmm. through and you see that connected to our living world was a living language. And it's our world and our language have, you know, atrophied. They've shrunk down to where we use very simple Mm -hmm. wording and, and we stumble across and we have this craving for the word shaman or we have this craving for something and we start to use what very roughly where I think we're human beings are really looking to bring the sacred back into yeah. our everyday being through our language, through our music, through our dancing. So where dance can, this is so, so beautiful about ecstatic dance and something that I've seen when you, when you guys have led, and I don't even say performed, I say when you guys have led the dance journeys, mm-hmm. wh- I've seen people have transformational experiences where they where they reach these ecstatic states and deep insights begin to happen. Maybe it's not as powerful as this Tunga shaman who's 
who's in Siberia because they've been called and they've been spending their whole life in this. But blocks that have had, this is what ecstatic means. Ecstatic means outside or ecstatic. Static meaning stuck, uh, trapped, right? So in this state of being untrapped, something else is able to move in. And then a greater mm. degree of wholeness. Health means wholeness. Again, we look at the etymology. Health means wholeness. It, people are, be able, are able to become more whole by surrendering to letting go yeah. into these ecstatic states. Now, some people need very strong plant medicines because they try to dance and they're, you know, they feel really blocked and they, they can't. And that's why this medicine comes in. Then it's not like a medicine like Benadryl. It blocks your ability to breathe, you know, breathe in the histamines, you know, nothing against Benadryl. But these medicines, they, they do something a lot. And if you've worked with plant medicine, you know what I mean, is it does something very profound that you can't explain. And I think that's the reason why they haven't worked their way into the allopathic medical, you know, center, you know, is because what's happening can't be explained. And if you can't explain it and you can't produce the same result every time, because people need different levels of healing. We don't, I don't believe that people come into this world as a tabula rasa. Tabula rasa means a blank slate. You know, that's our current, uh, that this is our current scientific paradigm is that everybody's the same. They come in, this is the hmm. behaviorist paradigm. You know, Jordan Peterson, for example, or Steven Pinker, we all come in as a blank slate. We, you know, we're all the same exact thing. And then the only thing making us different is maybe some, our brain's a little bit different. Someone's more intelligent than the other, but then it's the things that happen around us. This is very different from the belief of a soul, right? Yeah. And, uh, mm. and, and for, since time immemorial, there was always the belief that human beings had a soul, that animals had a soul, that there was an animus mundi, that the world, the earth has a soul, and that there's some intelligence that is greater than our rational mind mm. that could help us be able to be more human and be more whole right to be whole and connected with each other with the earth with the animals with the spirits with our ancestors i mean it's terrifying for me to imagine that we just die and then we cease existing forever like if you really think about that it's absolutely terrifying that i'm just going to exist you know, go shopping, go to work, save up some money for retirement, and then I die, and then I never exist again, and then my kids forget about me. I don't have any kids right now, but if I did, they would forget about me, and then that pattern just goes on forever. How do you live with that experience is my, my question. I don't think anybody truly believes that. If you did, it would take copious amounts of alcohol, drugs uh, to be able to cope, or you would contemplate killing yourself. I don't think you could hold that belief, and I think that's a good thing. I think that everybody that listens to this could look for the little bit of grain. It's not that they have to believe that there's a God or ancestors or a soul, but find where that little bit is and start to water it. Start to water that so that you could start to feel like purposeful, meaningful, connected with yourself, with others, with the soul, with a purpose, with the passion, with your ancestors. And uh, yeah. That's uh, what I'm thinking about when you ask question about there are a lot of people who call themselves as a shamans. Mm. So my feeling is um, I knew that in our um, culture, in Yakutian culture, we have several steps, 12 steps to be a shaman. And 12th one is uh, the most powerful shaman who can work with weather, um, as I told you. And there are beginners, like kindergarten steps. Mm -hmm. And I think... And there's the, nothing wrong with kindergarten. Yeah, that we just accept it. It's, um, I think the whole world is 
starts to change and people, they awaken their inner shaman because the, the most powerful healer is inside of us. Nobody will, no doctors, no any other person or shaman will heal other person, only ourselves. They're just guiding us and let that energy flow. And if somebody's energy is stuck in the body, as we told about ecstatic dance, right? So they make them to to release that block and circulate. Then we can, you know, that's, I think I read a lot of books and I heard from my grandfather, that's the main idea how a shaman works. He works with the energy which is stuck and he just unblocked that and then the whole um, uh, the whole organ starts to have uh, the uh, vitality vitality yeah exactly the uh, necessary components and then you and they can heal themselves so that's i think uh very beautiful that people you know they at least do yoga even like a fitness but it's okay you know people started to in, to be interested in shamanism in in alternative medicines or food more healthy food and it's um just warms up my heart and thinking there is a perspective there is a future where we can uh, go slowly but you know up to the steps and found ourselves in several states for example i'm feeling myself i'm not calling myself as a shaman um uh, but I have this a term, actually it came from Western <laughs> culture, neo-shaman. Neo mm -hmm. means new. Mm -hmm. And neo-shamanism means uh, the new kind of shamanism, which is you can do, you know, you can practice in your daily life, living in the city. Because the real shamans, they have to live in the forest. I don't know, Zarina, if you're um, familiar with the work Anastasia, have you heard of the Anastasia book series that alle allegedly yeah. takes place in Siberia? Do you know yeah. much about that? It's a uh, Kedr. It's like Vladimir Megr yeah. Megre or something? It's it's um, about tree, right? In Siberia and a woman who was uh, very shamanic. Yes, very yeah. Very cosmic healer. And she was um, related to tree Kedr, cider, how we call that in English? Cedar. 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 Mm -hmm. cedar tree. And in Siberia, we do believe that cedar tree is a um, provider of uh, energy, healing energy. And uh, even, you know, little nuts when you eat, it's very healthy. Mm -hmm. And uh, I do you know about, Andres, about the thunderstorm and of lightning can come to cedar and it's like... Um, Cedar are very sensitive for lightning and they're kind of um, calling lightning to touch them, but they never get burned. It's also similar here in America, redwood. Mm -hmm. There's a tree. gigantic one right, out, yeah. right outside here. And we walk it's in, it's the first beautiful. thing. It's, this and is a very real being that has <laughs> its own, you could feel like yeah. called our attention instantly when yeah. we walked back here. And you go to forest, to park, you can probably, probably so... Um, the burned basement of the redwood mm. tree, and it never burned the whole tree. And it's actually, I, I heard a story from elders that they kind of attract the lightning and they burn from the basement and open up the space 
for little kids, for little trees. That's mm. the way how mm. they spread uh, out. And they're very intelligent. Mm. So these trees are like cedar. And we do believe that large tree and also uh, birch trees are very shamanic. And here, redwood, I'm mm. feeling the same. They're so connected to other, uh, you know, like even it's so far, it's somewhere in the sky. But this is the improvement how everything is connected and everything is in a conversation in dialogue and helping each other like permaculture totally yeah, yeah i just um i i finished about a year ago uh charles eisenstein came out with a book called climate a new story and as we talk about the climate uh greta thornburg i think her last name is thornburg i've only ever read oh it. my god she's incredible <laughs> she's a star she's a legend now even she's so young but in this young body there is a deep soul and uh, she came definitely to this world to change it mm -hmm. and to bring the wind of change um to for the future generation which is she is a representative of future generation right and to listen to her and the whole body you know whole whole world um reacted to her from that I can, you know, my heart is also very rich and like warm and having hope that probably in the future we will have a different generation who will change, whom, whom will make, will see healthy mm. our planet Earth. You know, there's a, a powerful narrative that exists within Charles Eisenstein's work called Climate, A New Story that I read about a year ago. It actually came out on my name day. Uh, yeah. You know, Zahari is, is uh, so September 18th. So yeah. this is in Russian. It's her saint's day, the day her saint was born, or I don't know how it works exactly. I just know I got presents when I was a kid. But it, this book came out on that same day auspiciously. Hmm. And uh, what I really loved about Charles' work is that instead of going into the whole, just a fully scientific paradigm, which he does and he addresses that, but he says, look, when we're operating on the idea of measurement and science, total rational science and divorcing the soul and the heart from from the climate elements there's so much ways to create deception i mean they say like the devil's in the details or the de deception of the devil in a sense uh and what i mean by that is that if we're measuring carbon footprint or we're and that's exclusively what we're measuring we're, we're missing so many things i mean if you're measuring carbon footprint then you might be able to say well we should just essentially kill 80% of the people. And then that would solve it, you know? Um, and and it, it also takes into consideration that human beings are just bad in general. Like it's, there's a term called misanthrope. It's a misanthropic view of the world. And people adopt a sense of mis misanthropy as, as a replacement for a conscience or as a replacement for a soul. They say, if, if I hate human beings enough, then somehow I'm okay. Uh, you know, like, look at this, Trump is so terrible. Or on the other side, they may mm -hmm. say someone like Greta is terrible. You know, like Trump said, she should watch more movies and relax. And mm -hmm. uh, Bolsonaro called her a brat. So she changed both of her profiles. One, her American one says, you know, currently watching movies with friends. This has happened today. And then the other one, and her, uh, one in Portuguese says brat as her, because <laughs> she's just like, well, hey, you know, this is what you get. To, you, you could call me whatever you want. You know, here's, here's where it is. But I think that we really should look to speaking to the better natures of somebody instead of like, what is it, what world does Donald Trump inhabit? 
And what world does Don, does Bolsonaro inhabit? And the people that follow these people, what world do they inhabit? What I find is that they're usually very wounded. They're very afraid. They're very afraid of change. They're very afraid of this ecstatic realm, you know, any place where you let go of control, you know, and, and oftentimes it comes from trauma and deep shame. And especially for men, men that have been deeply shamed will do whatever they can to control their entire environment. And then other people that have been shamed will try to elect the people that will control the environment in a way that is at least predictable. So they're willing to trade beauty and their soul in exchange for safety and for predictability. And they don't know that they're making this trade. You know, it's like Goethe's Faust, you know, they don't know that what, what trade they're making with Mistopheles. They're not going into it consciously. And I think what's important is for those that probably, if you're listening to this, uh, you're probably not on the mindset of we need to further our taking over the world and, and our power over nature. We need to have more of that. We need to conquer disease by cutting it out. And, you know, people that don't agree with us, we need to build fences and walls around them. I, I don't think you're probably listening to it. If you're listening to this podcast, you're probably, if you've gotten this far, you're probably not in that camp. So you're then in another camp. You're in the camp that you exist on a planet. Like you're, imagine you're a fish in an aquarium and you're in a, in a, you're in this aquarium where a lot of the fish are polluting the aquarium and you could say, Hey, these fish are stupid and these fish are idiots. And the, you know, you know, this is a fat fish, you know, it's a privileged fish. You can call the fish whatever you want, but it's not going to change the fact that you're in the same aquarium and they'll pollute the aquarium and you'll die. Yeah. And, and, and just doing that, separating yourself from them and saying, I, you know, people are the problem. Don't worry. Mother nature will be fine. Citing that's citing against yourself because you are a human being. You have a human soul. And, and a human soul is connected to this world soul and to every single animal, you know, like the human soul is connected. So just it's a cop out, really, to give up on these other people, to trash talk them and to think that somehow through force, we're going to overcome the, the Trumps and Bolsonaro's and looking at them as the enemy, I don't think is the answer. And I think maybe what is so beautiful about like what I've experienced with what you've shared with me over the, all the time we've spent together, we've spent a lot of time together over the past year and a half, and uh, is that there is an invitation towards beauty. And our heart and even our mind and everything, it, it resonates with beauty. Like you could see something, people could collectively get together and see something that's very beautiful as well as somebody could see something that's very ugly. Like if you go to a concentration camp or you go to a slaughterhouse, like you're clear, like, do we want more of this in the world? No, you know, but there's always ways to justify it. Well, slaughterhouses are more efficient, so you could have less people working to be able to provide enough calories for food. But like the minute that you use these explanations, you could explain everything. I mean, I'm sure there's a very rational reasons why so many Jews were killed in in Germany and Poland, right? And, and everywhere else that the Jews were killed as well. And in 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution, my family escaped from Russia because they were labeled as religious because uh, mm. they were Russian Orthodox. And I'm sure it was justified. As a matter of fact, I read a book. I didn't read the whole thing, but it was called Former People. And Lenin named these people the former people. They're not even human. They have no story. Nobody will know your story. You will be referred to as the former people. That's it. That's the only designation they get. And I'm sure they had a great reason for this. And it was because 
the, the, they were called the aristocrats, right? And they were so wealthy and they had so much land and they had serfs, which serfs is a form of slavery or debt peonage if you look at economics. And you could explain why it's totally okay to kill them because if you don't kill them, then they'll keep controlling everything. So you could kill them. The minute you're killing them, well, it's like, well, we should torture them because like this other person here was tortured. Well, did that person torture somebody? I don't know, but they should have it too. And the minute we stop thinking with our hearts and we stop moving towards beauty, Every unimaginable and unspeakable cruelty could happen to both other human beings, to this planet, to the animals, and to our own ancestors, which to most people, they're like, oh, I see the, the human side and I see maybe nature, but ancestors, you know, my ancestors were crap, you know, like I've been traumatized. Well, where did that trauma come from? And I, and I think what I'm really looking for, and especially with this podcast, is to create more healing and to have these conversations that are outside of the, the, the normal realm and long conversations, because it's not as simple as a one sentence quote on an Instagram photo. Like yeah. we need to sit within the conversation and let it do its work. Let this, I picture that as we're talking here, we're getting together and there's spirits, there's ancestors. There's been a lot happening for since time immemorial to bring our souls together with this voice. And if you're listening to this, you could say, well, that's just happens chance. I stumbled across this thing. Or you could feel in another way, maybe I've been, you don't have to believe it. I'm not asking anybody to have faith or believe anything, anything at all, but to just be with it. And if you're experiencing this feeling like there's something happening here, I feel something working inside me. There's truth here to like be with that, not to take it as permanently. I feel that therefore I must believe this, but to, I'm trying to point to something that you may be feeling. I don't, I, I, what, what do you feel about what, what I'm saying right now, Zarina? Yeah, it's, um, I'm seeing uh, the whole craziness is going in the world. It's pretty natural. Um, if we see um, that this t time where we are at now, it's, um, um, Andreas in, is in a very a Vedic concept, and he said that's a Kali Yuga. Mm, and it's a specific time where the dark energy takes over where the dark energy takes over uh, the light the delightful energy and um, so in my culture we uh, you know as we live in a six months of dark cold winter we don't escape from uh, darkness from you know our world from black spirits because we believe that in darkness there are a lot of black spirits are coming out mm -hmm. but instead of that it's kind of you know we recognize them but we don't be scared we don't push them away but being okay that they are part of us it's the um the question is how you're going to deal with them and how to dance. And I, and I say that as a dance because, um, you know, in dance, you are very flexible and you're feeling everything around you. You are dancing in ether through the sound. And it's like um, I'm imagining that um, we're dancing in three worlds, higher, middle, and the lower. In the lower world, we dance and, and we'll learn how to uh, challenge, how to, you know, um, put up with our problems, mm. negative energy. Mm -hmm. and, um, and Most also, people just stop moving when they feel bad or yeah. try to get rid of the feeling instead of trying to move, feeling how that, that wants to be moved with. 
Yeah, and it's also dancing not only in three worlds, but between. Mm. There are also some realms between. And it's very important because switching from one state to another, it also needs to be controlled. And the whole world is suffering because we are so unconscious about what we're saying, what we're doing, uh, and uh, the nonviolent communication um, is very helpful. I just started to learn about Marshall Rosenberg. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the gift to the modern society, at least to operate with our mind and learn from that book how to communicate and first to listen, right? And that's, uh, I think, healing. And um, He to, calls to it the, a, a language that, that represents life. Yeah, which exactly. Which is like Olux. <laughs> yeah, that's why I found it very interesting. You know, this uh, Vedic concept has a lot of similarities. Tibetan Buddhism has a lot of similarities. And this Western, when I'm learning nonviolent communication, can be also very helpful. And in combining that with my culture, R.I.E., which is white shamanism, um, and the shamanism as itself, it's very... Um, fascinating for me mm. and um, I think if you would come back to your question about what you talked it's a um, I think I see that as a natural state of everything if you look at inside of your body we have back, back bad bacteria and good bacteria mm-hmm. when bad bacteria takes over it you know good bacteria you get sick but it's also normal this mm-hmm. is our no- normal state and then our immune system get strong Mm -hmm. and you get stronger and stronger and you know the the question which bacteria do you feed Mm -hmm. every day what do you practice what do you eat what do you think how in which state do you keep your mind and that's the whole point are you focusing on uh, on uh, uh, honey as a bumblebee as a bee or you are like a fly who uh, focus on poop mm-hmm. but they are both happy mm-hmm. fly is ha- happy to be uh, in a poop right yeah yeah and <laughs> bee also is happy to be in, in flowers honey. And yeah honey, right? so it's a it's the one natural um state but different tools how to get there mm-hmm. and uh yeah i think it's um in in our world, if you see more fractally, like in in a macro um, dimension, if you come from our micro world where I described the bacteria, we're also like behaving like bacteria. Mm. We have, you know, we we also like take over, push native people somewhere there. But um, they are minority, right? And the ever more so, increasingly more so. Yeah, mm. and it's. Um, even in in uh, uh, in the flow of you know now spirituality comes out because there are a lot of ignorance and rudeness cruelty in the world so it's like the whole universe is very wise and it's the whole dance like of flows um, black and white bad and good but when they dance together, when they create this balance, which is not stable, it's mm-hmm. always moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's ecstatic. It's not static. It's yeah, ecstatic. ecstatic. It moves back and forth. It's a yeah. process. And I think so many people are trying to like 
triangulate on something. They're like, mm-hmm. I am good. Everything I do like, is good. They tagging. make a list of rules and they follow that. Exactly. And as long as I do it, I could say that I'm good. And that might work for a while and that might be where you're at. But eventually that might stop working. You do all the things that are supposed to make you good and you still don't feel good. Yeah, or exactly. you find yourself trying to do things that you would consider good and then judging and shaming other people for not doing the same thing. And this is this interesting, I think some people call it spiritual bypassing. Um, but I, I see that people, spiritual pride or spiritual egotism, and that's also, and if you find yourself there, just again, dance with that. It's this, con- I think, moving towards a more living experience. There's some powerful metaphors, and I don't think it was an accident that Jung, Carl Jung, this, yeah, the Carl. famous psychiatrist, mm-hmm. talked about uh, alchemy. And he used alchemy to explain how the psyche functions. Because alchemy, there's no place that you arrive at permanently. If you think about it, just think about it for even a moment. We'll do it right now, a little thought experiment. Okay, let's say, for example, you arrived at that place. Now you're at God's feet on a a throne in heaven for eternity and someone's playing your favorite song forever. Like, how does that feel? Just imagine, sit with, you're there for eternity. Like, it starts to become... uh, increasingly terrifying because you're like wait a second i'm just stuck at this chair at this throne you know like life and god is a is a living and growing even god is evolving in some sense and moving and changing and sometimes the the idea of apocalypsis apocalypse right Mm -hmm. where everybody's like the world's going to end human beings are going to die off and we need to inhabit mars or download our consciousness into a computer and maybe those (laughs) are all great things i don't know but at the same time Seeing the level of darkness is generally what creates an initiation, whether it's individual for an individual shaman or for a person initiating from childhood into adulthood or from a single life into a relationship connected, uh, or whether it's an entire culture's initiation or whether it's an entire species like human beings initiation. And I think what Greta is pointing to and some of the resistance that we're seeing from people like Trump and Bolsonaro, uh, to name a few, uh, is a collective initiation happening. And I mean, and if you listen to the, the the conversation that's opposed to it, it's just very childish. It's like I picture some kid closing their eyes, and I don't mean this in a pejorative or negative way about Trump or Bolsonaro. I feel I'm starting to feel more compassion and, and empathy and sympathy with them, mm-hmm. you know, and because I'm starting to, and sometimes I'm pissed and I'm like, what the hell's wrong with them? But, you know, I see a child, they're like, well, hey, I'm I'm leading this thing. Apparently I must be doing something right. Like, you know, uh, they think that you could go back in time somehow and we could make the world great again through doing what we've already, we've already done that. We've already been there. We don't need to go back in time. We need to move forward to something else. And there's probably some very beautiful things that were there. Like, uh, Americans, for example, at one point in time used to be able to own a home and, you know, only one of the parents would have to work and they'd have time with their kids. You know, that's no longer the case. We live in the Bay Area where, you know, you could own a company and probably barely rent a room in some cities, you know. So there's truth in all of their their elements and somehow to be able to see it, not so you could stand above it and say, I'm right and I'm better than them and I'm better than everyone. You know, because the minute you do that, it, it seems like you just plummet back down anyway. Yeah. But to be o- okay with this process of this living nature, a lot of a lot of cultures, I don't know if you know, but the Yakutian language, uh, is it mostly a verb-based, like a process-based language, or is it a noun-based language? Oh, there like are a, a lot of noun and uh, uh, ad- ad- adjective. Adjectives? Adjectives. Yeah. Yeah, it's very rich language. 
Hmm. And the whole heroic epic Olonkho, which is a storytelling provided by shaman, that was the only one entertainment during dark winters, mm -hmm. when there was electricity and radio, all of this, you know, crazy internet. Mm -hmm. um, they were coming to house where storyteller is uh, going to do theater of one person, and it's gonna t it it can take three nights and three days nonstop, and people come and they use their imagination from his stories, and he can. He can be old woman and sing like old woman, and then he became as a shaman, or he becomes like a eagle, like being animal. And every hero, every character has own melody, own song, own timbre of voice, and and they can ima amazingly describe and improvise what they have in it, um, what they are surrounded see. by, mm -hmm. what they see. And also in the beginning, usually they describe how the whole universe universe was created. So it's, The reason they're so good is because they're actually there and telling yeah. you what they're seeing. It's not like they've taken a bunch of classes and have learned how to make the words describe something that they're actually in this place describing it. And through their ability to be there and to resonate with this place, they're able to invite others into their reality. Yeah. And it sounds like this is what the shamans or any great storyteller. I, I know that uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes, she uh, calls them cantante. Con con oh gosh, the word's escaping me, but there's a there's a term in, in, in um, Spanish that uh -huh. also means cantantadoras or something. I can't remember. But Is it also like a heroic epic? Uh, it's a way of storytelling to mm. be able to take people with you on this way. And this is, and I think, again, even our stories have been appropriated. You know, the challenge is, is when we're, we're right here in the backyard of George Lucas's, you know, Lucas, Lucas Ranch, really close nearby here where we're, where we're doing mm. this podcast. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult for, you know, a shaman to compete for the attention of a young child when their, their senses are, are hit from outside, instead of them imagining it or participating in this imagination that is possible to be had through human consciousness, instead they're fed with this unbelievable loud music and special effects and nonstop action, very little storyline, and all of a sudden this way of perceiving the world becomes reality, but it's, it's absent, it's not part of reality, it's not connected with nature, it's not connected with one individual, uh, it's it's connected with so many. I mean, I, I think that there's a place for this too. I think there's a place for beautiful epic movies like our modern day plays. However, when that's all you're fed, it's almost like you don't want to hear the story of of this person from your culture telling your culture story. You lose it, and then we get whatever this homogenized version of Star Wars. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. Do people in Yakutia know of Star Wars now? Yeah. They probably. <laughs> yeah. When we had, uh, you know, TV, it's probably in the beginning of 21st century. Um, yeah. My grandfather was born in the time where there wasn't electricity at all. They were using fire candles. And he was born in a deep forest where the village is about 15 miles. So he has to come imagine in this during winter time, every day 15 miles, like 30 miles, two ways to uh, learn 
something to educate himself. And uh, he, uh, he was one of the seven survivors of 12 people, among 12 children, because it's very common for women of Yakutia to give a birth uh, for more than 10 children. Mm. And half of them will die. Only strongest one will survive. And no heater, just fire. And, you know, traditional house usually had a, um, cows as a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were providing heating too. And women could go, uh, you know, to that cow place and give the birth there among the cows and the grass. And uh, so that uh, was very hard time uh, where, 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 you know, and my grandfather was born in 1930. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's only two generations back from me, right? But even it's a whole different world. Yeah, just very fresh. Mm-hmm. And the whole globalization came to my village too, to my Yakutia. And um, we got an internet two years ago in our village. So mm-hmm. now I have a, a opportunity to uh, FaceTime with my family. Which is beautiful. That's a beautiful Which is part also, of technology. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful part of technology. And so, but how do we not lose the sacred? How do we not lose this connection with nature, this connection with ourselves, our attention spans? Like the, the, the idea that uh, a 12 year old or an eight year old or 16 year old, I can't even get 13 year olds to come to ecstatic dance. It's very rare that one, one will come. And it's because it's this long two and a half hours, songs are playing out to their completion. It's all these different genres of music. People want to hear what they're familiar with, whatever's cool. Uh, this like almost like pre-packaged, pre- we're becoming the victims and participants and perpetuators of our own disease, really, mm-hmm. which is this short attention span, mass amounts of stimulation, and we want everything packaged for us in a specific way that is already what doesn't disturb anything unless it disturbs it in a way we're familiar with. How do we use, for example, you're using this technology for what you're calling neo-shamanism to attract back through the technology to the sacred. But how do we use this? How do you think we use this, these technologies to uh, bring people back to more connection, to more to their ancestors, to nature, to each other? How does a new culture, how does a new cultural zeitgeist get born? Yeah, it's a very nice uh, question. Uh, I've been thinking about that as uh, we are, as Olax, Andres, and I were participating in that and trying to find, you know, being very sad that young people can't even pay attention more than one minute in one object, and they're so into digital life. So they, they, but they are not guilty because they were was they were born in that time. Mm-hmm. That's our irresponsibility who brought that condition for them and uh, this about you know d- teenagers who are 18 years old they already was born with iphone and uh, the only one solution i guess is to bring what they used to see um as an um as an uh, opportunity to understand something as a breach you know just to transfer into something deep because if we refuse and we say this is bad they will say they will refuse that mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we will lose them yeah they will just disconnect it from us 
and say, no, we were born with this, that what we used to see, this is our altar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we can't, you know, survive without this. But we can show the wisdom, the other part of life, like a nature, all of this beautiful technology, perm permaculture, sustainable energy, um, you know, what was actually was a also technology of our ancestors. They mm. had own technologies uh, that time. We have these technologies in this time. And the question is how we're going to use, you know, knife as a technology from our ancestors can be used to kill somebody, which is bad impact, mm. right? Or we can uh, use to carve things and to do vessels or to cut our food mm -hmm. and which is helpful for us is the question how would you use what intention do you put there and how conscious you are and i think it's the same uh like to to bring these young people's attention and consciousness to using what they used to see and bring it uh, into something deep and show that beauty because they need this beauty they need to see um they need to to feel love mm. and not from digital life but from from uh, sensitive life where their sensors can be nourished mm -hmm. cherished because um i bad they are you know they can um de develop their brain but they can be also less i can also sensitive feel that. Yeah. yeah less yeah. sensitive for food they're not aware of what they're eating it's just until they become highly it's if you look at they become highly intellectualized which is they understand things in abstraction almost exclusively and their felt embodied sensitivity which is a greater degree of intelligence like intuition uh sensation uh uh, they maybe become unconscious of impulse, the feelings that they have. Uh, when we're looking, look at social psychology, there's there's things called priming and triggers that are happening all the time. But to the degree that we are not aware that that we can't feel what that is, even if we understand it abstractly, if we can't feel it, we could be essentially victimized by our own lack of yeah. ability to feel it. And then you could say that there's a perpetrator that's out there marketing, but most of the marketing and perpetrators are just victims of the economic system themselves. You know, they're perpetuating what I believe is a, an economic system that is broken. It's not in alignment with nature. And there's, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with, uh, in economics, there's a gentleman, Silvio Gazelle, he wrote a book in 1917 called the, the Theory of the Natural Economic Order, which essentially makes currency and money work the same way nature does with decaying over time, going through entropy, uh, the idea that there's uh, congresses, like groups of people that are constantly nominated by groups to be able to adjust the economics. And then also, you can't just fix the currency, you have to also fix property because anything that human beings need in order to live needs to be available for them. Otherwise, those that control whatever that is are able to control mm -hmm. all of those people because they'll do whatever whatever they need to do to get those things and then everybody else will do whatever they're doing in order to get those things and it perpetuates we can't again we're in that same fish aquarium that yeah. we talked about earlier so we need there to be a process that creates more beauty as opposed to continues what status quo right now we're stuck in a system that perpetuates the status quo. And some people become very f famous and well-known and get a lot of likes because they attack the status quo. Mm -hmm. They might say, 
you know, the heck with Trump and whatever it is, da da da, it's terrible. And other people are like, it's totally is what it is. God's mm -hmm. mad at you, da da, you know, and then both End of those endless. get all of the attention. The marketers right. want to market to the people that are paying attention. So I guess what is it that, that maybe the biggest gift that we have to give today is our attention, our attention to ourselves, our attention to what we're putting in our mouths, what we're putting into our ears, uh, our attention to the word, like how we're speaking. Yeah. Our attention to what we're learning and our attention to how do we feel? Because sometimes like we we've learned to ignore that because through ignoring what I feel, I might be able to temporarily make money, you know, doing typically the things that are most miserable, unless you discover your gifts very young, doing the things that are most miserable may pay the most amount of money. So we make this association that more money is always good. Therefore, doing what I don't like is good. Now it becomes, how do I go to war with myself to get myself to do what I don't like so I can make enough money uh, in order to be able to eventually get where I want to be, which is to where I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> but the challenge is, is that the me that I become in doing all of those things is no longer the me that made that decision. You know, it's like people waiting for their retirement to go spend time in nature or mm -hmm. to read more books or to learn more whatever they want to learn or to play music or to dance. I'm going to dance later or I'm not a dancer or whatever that is. Speaking of which, I wanted to ask you for this video that we're doing, this audio also, what is ecstatic dance to you? Ecstatic dance, it's, um, I think, one of the tool uh, what we, you know, can include as a solving of this problem. Uh, like meditation it's totally different state that we're used to be daily life when our mind is like all over in buddhism you call that monkey monkey mind and instead of that you are at the present time you are focused not in the past not in the future you are at the present time and feeling everything around you and to get there you need to be ex you know you need to let this energy flow in through you. It can't be stuck. Otherwise, if you're stuck, you can fall. You can't move. And the whole point of you know dance is that you you feeling a surround, you feeling your environment at the present time. And uh, you know for to get there, you your whole senses, your whole body, everything should be open, not blocked. And that could be very nice, actually, tool to um, awake these teenagers, you know, to do um, ecstatic dance for kids, for, for, you know, look through songs, through dance. We can bring the healing to this, you know, precious earth and our society, to, our in, 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 to every each uh, human being. And uh, also, you know, to get there, I think um, meditation is also a good tool um, just to sit and feel everything around or to bring in daily ceremonies, what I would like to include. Um, I'm writing now neo-shamanic healing um, ceremonies. And, you know, before you eat, pray or recognize that this food came to your table through many hands, people's work and people's energy mother nature's energy so it's like being consciousness in consciousness being at the present time when you do something 
just do a little bit in ceremonial way, just slow down. And, you know, when you wake up, the first thing what we do, we check our cell phones, right? But instead of that, you can create own ceremony based on traditional one, mm -hmm. how to be um, conscious and how to prepare, prepare yourself for a good day. And, and this ceremony can change. Like yeah. it's a living process. You don't have it's to walk through the same thing. And we have access to so many different cultures, ceremonies. Yeah. And maybe we try some of these ceremonies in the beginning and then our, and a new ceremony finds us and yeah. comes. That's where they all came from originally, right? It's not yeah. like somebody came and took a bunch of cards and threw them in a corner. Maybe they did. I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> and then they said, okay, this is how I follow it. This rule, this rule, this rule. These ceremonies came to people. It was very, very clear. And they were alive. I, I, I loved that I heard Michael Mead say this. He said, mm. you know, we went and we did a ceremony in the Redwoods in Mendocino. It's a big men's gathering. Mm -hmm. He's been doing it for like 40 years. Wow. And he said that uh, he went, I believe he went to one of the final ceremonies of this tribe that was having these ceremonies. And there was this elder and he was bringing someone else in because they only, they needed, I think, 12 or 10 elders to do the ceremony. And one of them was really close to the end and they were training this this other, this other new elder to be take part of this. And it was in the middle of the ceremony. It's the, the head elder. He says right in the middle, he goes, are we going the right way? And he was genuinely inquiring. Like, but who would know whether they were going the right way? You would think he would know because he's the main, the oldest elder. But the reason he asked that question it, what Michael had found out mm -hmm. is that he wasn't just acting this out. Like he, it wasn't like he was just going to church on Sunday, reading the same hymns. It was a living relationship with the spirit realm of his tribe that was that could change the way that they go. You know, instead of doing it this way, now it goes this way. Instead of being stuck by that rigid, static dogma, mm -hmm. it essentially becomes free from the static, free mm -hmm. from that stuckness, free, and 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 it becomes alive. And I think that that's something that technology does that's so beautiful, Zarina and Andres, is that it takes all of the most beautiful elements of every culture and makes it available to travel yeah. through. Like, mm. it's really, where do we put our attention? And when we're reading something, like, does it make us feel bad? Is it like, just because if it makes us feel bad, that doesn't necessarily mean it's that it is bad. If it makes it feel bad, it may not be that getting that information is bad. It may be that you don't really resonate with whatever that is. Yeah. I know, uh, Andres, that you're a vegan and you have a yeah. drum here that's a vegan yeah. drum. Very unusual for a shamanic, <laughs> yeah. uh, shamanic <laughs> experience to be on a, on a drum made of, plastic, of garbage, yeah, right? Yeah, this is from garbage. Yeah, my, my friend they make in the Goa. Man, you, you make such great music out of garbage. Do you know yeah. that <laughs> once I had the magic experiences past, past time there and my friend uh, had the idea uh, make the glee and the garbage plastic that we, we cut uh, small, small, small. You know, maybe you see it's how to say the parachute powder, powder, yeah, and then mix in the glee and then make the form. Then, then after we glee. the whole, tr the whole, you're saying the whole drum is garbage. Oh, the glue. yeah, this is plastic, a new one, yeah, so this is drums, yeah. Oh, wow, I want a garbage drum. You know, yeah. I went to uh, San uh, to New Mexico to Taos and the most beautiful house I've ever been in. I walked in, it was in the middle, it was like negative. 10 degrees, not as cold as Yakutia, but I, I mean, maybe it was, maybe it was just zero. I don't know. It was really cold. I mean, freeze You would die for sure if you stayed outside without being bundled up. But I went inside and it was these things called the earth ships. Oh, yeah. And I'm walking and there's no plants outside, nothing. And I walk inside and it's the middle of winter and there's no heater. There's no uh, electricity. Uh, there's no uh, water system. 
And I walk inside, and inside I see bananas growing. Mm. Uh, there's uh, strawberries growing in the middle of winter. Wow. Awesome. In the middle of the high desert. And the reason is, is because they have the the the, the south-facing window, uh, the greenhouse mm-hmm. that's connected to the house. They only get like eight or ten inches of rain a year. I don't know the specifics, exact amount, but very, very. It was one of the driest places on Earth, and uh, it captures the rainwater, and then it it has a system that's all built in, that uh, that purifies it. It was the most beautiful day. It was so beautiful. See, for me, I could see really terrible things, and I think I've seen a lot of terrible things in my life. So I don't really cry when I see really bad things. I feel like I want to do something. Like my uh, my grief makes me want to take action to make it not happen anymore in some way, and. Uh, but when I see something very beautiful, I feel this wanting to cry because I, I grieve the fact that both myself and other people don't get to have this. Here's a house that is built out of garbage and and car tires that are just, thro- they like pay people money to take these car tires, right? And it's built in the middle of the high desert where there's no water, no nothing, and there's bananas growing. It's, wow. you know, like, and I see this, and, and the idea is, is that it grows enough food for four people inside of this thing called an earthship. And that's why it's called an earthship is because it could survive anywhere on earth and you could live off of it. And mm. it essentially is it, this, this structure, this domicile, this home is a home for what a human being could in, inhabit and a, a place where your soul could actually live too because it has this beauty. And it could work in conjunction with nature. If it could work in conjunction with nature in Taos, New Mexico, it could probably work in conjunction in, in potentially, I picture in Yakutia. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine turning the garbage of Moscow into the most beautiful homes in Yakutia that are connected with nature, where somebody could have, I don't know if bananas would grow there, but maybe. I mean, imagine, I, I know more would grow there than, if, than, than what's currently growing there. And there's other technologies. And if we start asking ourselves these questions of what, how can I do this instead of more efficiently, how can I do this more beautifully because like we could get efficient down to i'm sure concentration camps were efficient slaughterhouses by definition are efficient you know like the way that iphones are manufactured are efficient but they're not beautiful in many cases and it doesn't mean we just get rid of iphones it's how do we do this in a more beautiful way and it might not be perfect at first are we moving towards this beauty and Again, these earthships are made out of garbage. Your drums made out of garbage. And some of the most beautiful things, the lotus flower comes up out of the mud. Yeah. And if you've had a miserable life and your parents have been miserable and you've grown up in the projects or you've grown up in maybe even everything looked completely normal. Sometimes that's the worst way to grow up because at least I could say all oh, these terrible things happen growing up and people go, oh, wow, that's an interesting story. What sucks is when it's like you don't even have an interesting story. Everything was just totally how it was supposed to be and you still feel like shit because nobody will listen to you it's like oh you're white privilege and you're like you know i I sometimes can get around the white privilege thing because of my upbringing you know Mm -hmm. but other people just get that and they feel like somehow they need to feel guilty and the minute they feel guilty they go around shaming others saying your white Mm -hmm. privilege your white privilege and it perpetuates the same damn thing that the question again is to consistently navigate towards the heart, navigate towards beauty. And we, we probably will fuck it up a lot because we haven't been asking ourselves that question. <laughs> um, Andres, what would you say, what is ecstatic dance to um, you? I, I, maybe it's didn't translate my English, not super, uh, but understand, but sometimes it, uh, I have the problems for the past and the future. And um, uh, f- uh, translate, please, my friend, okay? Для меня эстетик dance это вот я лично мой танец это когда в моем сознании делится мир на пять частей. For me, ecstatic dance and specifically my ecstatic dance 
is when my brain falls into five divides into five pieces. Yeah. Uh, одна сторона отвечает за перкуссию. One is percussion. Uh, вторая часть отвечает за танец тела. The second one is the dance of body. Uh, потом uh, следующая часть я контролирую аранжировку и реальное пространство. Uh, the third one is when I control um, the arrangement, um, what I create as a music, and also environment. Четвертая сторона, я когда пою, я совмещаю еще вокал с этими со всеми элементами. И пятая сторона, это когда я наблюдаю за собой со стороны. Это живет все во мне, как единый организм, и я сам до сих пор не понимаю, как оно работает, но оно работает, и я думаю, что все-таки эстетик dance это божественный танец, когда мы контролируя, теряем контроль над собой. Ecstatic dance is when you try to control what is not uncontrolled. Yeah. What is not controlled. I think it's a yoga dance, maybe. And you know, sometimes um, for my my feel, its main feel, uh, I play the, it's very fast and the, it's in drums and I'm singing and I think, how it's possible? <laughs> and every time I, I, I also have a question for myself, I think, how it's possible? How it's working? I don't know. But the static dance, uh, it's uh, got you uh, got experience. I think. It's, yeah, yeah, but it's thing. yeah. I think it's possible in it's also ec- ecstatic, ecstatic state. Ecstatic state. Yeah, dance possible in ecstatic state. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it starts as a, the dance itself. The moving with the music is the prayer because you're not sure it's going to happen because you can't control it. All you could do is bring yourself to the prayer, yeah. and the prayer is is the prayer of attempting. To move with the music, and it's it's this wrestling between the the ego and the soul. Mm. It's this wrestling with the ego and the soul, maybe for a lot of people in the beginning, because when you first come into contact mm. with something that looks so alien but is actually a lot like you, <laughs> it might be a fight or a wrestle at first. And as you become more familiar, it becomes more of a dance and less of a mm. fight. And as you begin to build that bridge between your ego and your soul, you're able to reach that third place, which isn't just you know, the, the space of the soul, it's that betwixt and between place where they both meet. And I feel like the more that I, I, I step in and surrender into that space of being a receptacle for the music and seeing what wants to happen, how I want to move, that soul and the ego part come back and forth and together, you know? Wow, I just, from what you are talking, uh, guys, I just got an insight that, Probably um, we we do ecstatic dance in ether. So when we feel ether, then we dance, and then we get an ecstatic state because um, sound exists in the ether, mm. right? Oh yeah, yeah. And um, so this and and uh, when we listen to music, that's a connection to the ether. And then hmm. we start to move. We let the flow, the energy flow. And I think 
that's uh, how we can get to ecstatic uh, state through the ether. And ether, it's a space, right? Ephemeral comes from there. Yeah. It's that space that you can't see, that place we were talking you about. Can't, you can't but see, you, yeah, but there's that sensitivity. And, it, and at first, you might hear the music and just be frozen by it. It might actually, tr like the minute the music plays, woof, frozen in fear, you might fall into that lower world of stuck, you know, like mm -hmm. you're 100 feet under the ground, you can't move. Mm -hmm. And maybe you get a, just a little bit of movement. It means mm -hmm. that ether is stuck somewhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and I... And you can basically, even you can't see this ether, you can extract it into physical, which is Tesla tried to do, you mm -hmm. know, electricity through the ether. And it means that through sound, there there is a term kinematic. Mm. Kinematic? Kinematic. Yeah, when you see the sound waves on uh, sand or salt. So when you do, you know, these singing bowls or mantras, they... Water responds to yeah too. the yeah. whole sacred geometry everywhere. It's just if you look at every single tree and little flowers, it's a um, the whole thing is a Fibonacci, the spiral energy and vortex, and that's also what sound creates. I mean, through the sound, you can see this invisible energy, which is sacred geometry, which is very... And it's only invisible to our naked eye for some people. Like if you take oh, certain yeah. plant medicines or if you meditate or do a long fast or yeah. you're a shaman, you might see them all the time. <laughs> or people with synesthesia, oh, yes. they can see the sound as a color. They can see the dance of the sound. Zaina, приведи, я я заметил, что мы много раз выступали в Солдлаксити и много городов, и я видел также шаманов в Сибири и на фотографиях, и видео, и так. Я заметил, что люди, танцующие статик дэнс, и шаманы, и йоги, когда танцуют тандовом, они закрывают глаза. Каждый имеет трансцендентное путешествие через закрывание глаза в подсознании, в себя, вовнутрь. Это танец внутреннего, это танец внутреннего, это внутренний танец души, это танец внутри себя. Yeah, I uh, when I was in Salt Lake City and saw people dancing there, and also was in Yakutia and I've I've seen shamans uh, were dancing, and for example, yogin people they have tandava dance. I noticed that they close their eyes, means they fall into themselves, and which means the ecstatic dance is the dance of their soul, and it's inside of them. So. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love that you compare. Yeah, I love that you compare the two places and that you see this fact that similarity, it, this yeah. similarity exists within Salt Lake City and then Yakutia. That there's this connection. Our soul is not bound mm. uh, and and absent in one place or another. I think that's part of the deep myth: is that you have to go to some place so exotic in order to experience the sacred. And it may be harder to experience it in Salt Lake City, but coming together makes it easier. The more that come together, they create a, a, a morphic field of sorts to make it easier for others to be able to also experience it. Um, I wanted to finish off with the song, if you would like to do that, yeah. and then we could end the podcast there. I would love to. So we're going to do two songs for the beginning, right? And one yes. for the end. Great. So we'll begin this podcast with this song to prepare you and to prepare your being for uh, 
the conversation, the dialogue that we're about to have. And uh, you could dance to this or you could just let it soak in. You can't screw it up, so don't worry. Just mm-hmm. let it play. Mm-hmm. We would like to start our podcast from the song Mother, My Arctic Mother. It's uh, written by uh, Indigirsky composer based on traditional song, traditional melody. And uh, we're going to, uh, in ecstatic state, um, to bring the mother nature blessings here. <clears throat>
Thank you so much for listening, and please follow us to hear future episodes where we discuss topics such as alternative states of consciousness achieved through dance, intention, and shamanic practices, sacred economics, dream work, trauma healing, building community, permaculture, healthy and compassionate living and eating practices, somatic and alternative healing modalities, politics, psychology, mythology, and more. Our work is focused on the liberation of spirit, a return to the sacred, which is a constant collective inquiry. We aim both in person and on this podcast to plant and water the seeds of liberation from economic inequality, trauma, systemic conditioning, addiction, loss of soul, loss of meaning, hopelessness, helplessness, isolation, shame, nightmares, guilt, and a return to glimpses of your birthright, of dignity, joy, community, collaboration, equality, and constantly beautifying new world where you are not alone. And always, if you're ever in the Salt Lake City area, come join us for yoga, dance, or in the garden. A community of beautiful souls are here to welcome you. We gather in community Wednesday, 6 p.m. till 10 p.m. and Sunday, 11 to 3 p.m. And we have a vegan brunch or vegan dinner after every event. Our gatherings are all ages and are of no religious affiliation. We look forward to seeing you.